Three shots, four part, I just do two. One pup, pop four, birdie, woohoo. New driver, info, replace, M2, pop five, fairway, what you fin do? Think I'll try to get on into Stop right, good line, good view, it drew. Shoot him, McGavin, two thumbs that's up high and two fingers pointed. The green jacket is going north of the border. Mike Weir has won the Masters. Sometimes these part three look like an island. I punch and keep it on dry land. At least I'm a try man. I up with the five and might use the trap man. I got a chat man. My single ball speed rate of that batsman and where that ball land. Welcome to On the Screws podcast. I'm joined today with uh, Carlo Koliakovo. So just a little bit of a background with you and I, Carlo, is we kind of met through uh, my cousin Chad had unfortunately like a really bad injury playing hockey. You played in Erie as well. And we're uh, kind of doing some work with Daredevil Hockey or you knew the company and uh, kind of got connected that way and, and got them set up. They have like a, I guess, like a Kevlar reinforced uh, undergarment. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a Kevlar cut resistant undergarment that uh, protects all the vulnerable areas of the, of, the, of the body now. I shouldn't say lower body because they've developed the top as well, too. Yeah. And, um, it is an incredible product. Um, it looks and feels the same way as all the other stuff the guys uh, wear. It's just uh, there's a, a level of Kevlar protection over top that you don't feel underneath because it has that nice coating on the inside um, that uh, obviously you know prevents uh, what could be career-threatening injuries. Yeah, and that's kind of what Chad went through, right? It was uh, like a really deep, long laceration. So uh, appreciate you um, kind of setting him up and bridging that gap, and they've sent him out some of that gear, and he's uh, yeah, no, played with it all season. Well, I mean, it's amazing since I started to uh, take notice of this stuff and bring more attention to it, um, how many times I've seen, yeah. um, you know, skate lacerations. And I know we don't want to talk too much about this, but I just think that, you know, what happened to Chad was a very serious thing. I'm glad to see that he was able to recover from it. And let's just hope now with the product, the Daredevil product, he's able to play with a lot more confidence. And that's what you want to do Absolutely. With, this, uh, with this product is allow players to um, rebuild their confidence knowing that they can play without being scared to be put in that situation again and ultimately suffer, um, you know, something as scary as that was. Yeah, absolutely. Like I noticed it even more and more. And like you said, well, uh, it's a golf podcast. So we'll hop into it here, but, uh, I know PK, I know PK got like a really bad one at the end of the year too. So it was, uh, yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe just give us a quick introduction, Carlo, a little bit about yourself, kind of what you do. You work with TSN, you're on the radio in the morning, listen to you every morning. So, uh, maybe give me an idea what's, uh, what's in the, what's going on in the life in the world well, of Carlo Koliakovo. Yeah. First and foremost, I'm dad, a 38 year old dad, uh, two, two young kids. Um, I'm a former NHL hockey player of 14 years, uh, two years played in Europe, two, two years played in Germany and Europe. Uh, so those 16 full career, uh, full years of my career playing hockey. And, uh, you know, listen, I've been through a lot in my career. I played in many different places, uh, created so many memories and, sh- and uh, so many different experiences that have allowed me to pursue a post career in, in the media. And I find myself right now as uh, the co-host of the uh, TSN 1050 morning show first up on TSN um, every Monday to Friday from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. And we talk sports. Um, it's awesome. We uh, uh, obviously in this market in Toronto, the the Maple Leafs and the Raptors are the are the big topics and the big discussion points. And um, we don't really have to go into where the type of feeling they created into this city. But um, I've been a sports fan my whole life. 
Um, and luckily for me, uh, because I have and because I've watched all sports um, on every level, um, it has allowed me to gain the education that I need to be a sports talk radio host. And the beauty about what I've been able to do is the transition from a player to coach career is always what guys get scared of. And for me, even, even, even myself, I always said I was going to play as long as my body allowed me to. And I still had aspirations to play. But there comes a point in your life where you start to see the door closing and you're looking for that next opportunity. Well, when this opportunity came up, it was really hard to pass up because it you know, provided a couple of things for me. Obviously, my, I have a young family, like I, like I stated earlier. Um, I played in seven cities in my last eight years of my career. So there was a lot wow. of moving around. And being in Toronto was where we always wanted to be. My wife's um, from, from Grimsby in Ontario. And uh, what this job provided me was a little bit more of stability, uh, longevity, and the ability to stay in the game without playing the game. And that was the most exciting part for me is because, yeah, I love playing the game. I miss the game, playing the game. I miss the locker room. I miss the teammates and stuff like that. But I found in this industry really, really quick that you're still interacting with all those people just at a different level. And now you're being asked the guy to analyze all the situations that, that people discuss. And I found that very exciting for myself. And, you know, I've been doing that for over three years right now. I mean, luckily for me, when I first walked into the gig, the Toronto Raptors won the championship. Yeah, the no kidding. The Maple, Leafs, the Maple Leafs turned themselves into a really competitive team. <laughs> it's become a really fun job to do because you're covering fun teams. Yeah, and this year was a little tough. I mean, COVID made it a tough situation for everybody. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm really happy with what I do because it's allowed me to stay engaged in the thing I love the most. Which is, and obviously, you see with my background, the things that excite me, the Buffalo Bills, Team Canada, playing basketball, collecting uh, hockey cards. Like, I, I'm in it in all sense. And, you know, now here I am on your podcast talking golf because golf is the thing I love to do the most of my free time. Yeah, it's kind of just uh, that's that's it's been a passion project through through COVID really right so it's it's kind of opened up a lot of doors for myself and like I was saying this morning you chatted with you chatted with Bob Weeks and I had him on the podcast just before the Masters which was incredible because if you're chatting golf in Canada who do you want to talk to more than you know Bob Weeks like you guys had him on the show this morning and yeah such a pleasure so I was listening to Golf Talk Canada and like those guys know so much and uh I know you guys mentioned Mr. Butcher, the Mr. Butcher uh, giveaway. So I actually won it last Monday. I I was listening to the podcast. I listened to it every Monday. I called in and it was, uh, you know, who's got a couple wins in the PGA Tour this year. And I went with Stuart Sink over Bryson DeChambeau. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Do you have any recommendations for me? Uh, well, I did like their tomahawk, not the tomahawk steak, the porterhouse steak. Okay. Um, they've got some great lamb. Um I, I order some salmon, sashimi for okay. them too, uh, sushi grade. Um, but other than that, um, I've, I've just gotten small orders from them right now. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to trying everything. I mean, they, they gave me a nice, uh, what, I can't remember the name of it, but it's basically a boneless chicken. Okay. Uh, like, oh, it's a flattened chicken. Sorry, is what it's called. Yep. And I put that on the barbecue and smoked it. Oh, my God. It was dynamite. And the best thing about uh, Mr. Butcher is not only do they have great meat he gives you great recipes okay and sometimes that's the best combination because yeah you want to taste meat that tastes good but it's about how you cook it too absolutely right? so, absolutely um i love it i'm so happy to hear you won it and i hope <laughs> yeah. you've been able to enjoy 
everything about it as well. Yeah, I definitely uh, I got to place an order. They actually just sent it to me this morning, so I'm gonna have to go on there and uh, <clears throat> put together a pretty good order. Grab one of each, probably off the menu. But uh, yeah, I guess we can wrap up with some of the hockey stuff. Like, unfortunately, our Leafs are golfing a little bit too early again this year. But um, you know, what, like, what are your thoughts on them? Like, you're a former first round pick of the Leafs. We gotta we gotta just touch on it. Like. What what are your thoughts on the end of the season? I'm uh, I'm extremely disappointed. Yeah. Um, you know, I I wouldn't say I'm your diehard Leaf fan, but I'm a Maple Leafs alumni, so the passion is yep. for me to watch this team succeed because not only is it a pleasure for me to be a part of, but you talk about what my what my job is about. You know, the, and I think just living in this city, the better the Maple Leafs do, the, the better it is for everything else around this team in this city. So, um, you know, the, the disappointment for me lingers in the sense that, you know, this has been five years in a row that they've lost the first round. It's been 18 years since they last won a playoff round. And... Given the year that they had, it set the expectations so high. Absolutely, yeah. That not only with themselves, with the fan base, that people expected more. And to do it in the fashion that they did it in, uh, where you know I classify it as probably one of the biggest choke job collapses in franchise history, because it's not mostly the manner they did it in which is surprising, you know, it's up 3-1 when you're dom- dominating and in control the whole series. But I think that tr- the thing that triggers people the most and the fan base the most, it's who they lost. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the Montreal Canadiens. It's, it's even worse in Boston. Right? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a rivalry that I wish in a normal world people had a chance to experience because, you know, full building with the fans, there would have been more of that emotion yeah. that stood out. But, you know, when you look at this team, the disappointment that, that continues to surround this group is the trust that's put into its core group. Um, the core group that the organization has paid a lot of money to, mm-hmm. that has installed a lot of belief in, but has continued to deliver the same failures. Yeah. So I guess as a Maple Leafs fan is how much can you really believe about what you hear and what you see? And I'm not trying to discredit, they have good players on their team. Absolutely, yeah. Every team has good players. But sometimes you really got to question if you have the right players with the right combination because when you're constantly setting the expectations or at least putting yourself in a position to have that success but ultimately face the same defeat, and you talk about same defeat, they've lost the exact same way four years in a row. In a winner-take-all elimination game, they just failed to show up in yep. four strict years. So you really have to start questioning, you know, if this team really is capable of winning a playoff series or winning a championship. And I've always tried to, to um, uh, at least direct the narrative at the, at, at, at the saying that people say, you know, Stanley Cup contender. Well, yeah, I'd like to label the Maple Leafs as a Stanley Cup contender, but to me, they're nowhere close to being a Stanley Cup contender because before you can be a Stanley Cup contender, you've got to be a playoff contender. Right. This team has had no playoff success with this core group. so. Am I optimistic about the future? I mean, listen, the Maple Leafs have good players and they've become a good team. But until they start changing the narrative about who they are in the playoffs, it's hard for me to be optimistic about this team because the same reason I felt about them this year, and I got fooled just like everybody else did, (laughs) I gave them the benefit of the doubt during the regular season because they did show a lot of 
great sign. They made a lot of great progress into becoming a better team. Just with the way they play, the adversity that they faced, you know, the players that they've injected into this lineup that helped them make themselves a better balanced team. But I always said to myself, and I warned myself, you could be the best team you want in the regular season if you don't if you don't perform to your to your standards in the playoffs, then nothing else matters. Because yeah, I could care less that Matthews won the Rocket. I could care less that they won the, the North Division. At the end of the day, they still lost in the first round of playoffs. Yeah, and I, I'm sure that's, you know. That's the disappointment that I feel. Yeah, I hope Matthews feels the same way too, right? And like my group chat with my buddies, as I'm sure it has been with yours and everybody oh, that yeah. you speak to, has just been on fire. Like it's like we got duped again and. Yeah, and as you know, it is a golf podcast, but so many of us up here play golf in the summer, play hockey in the winter. So it's nice to get your opinion and kind of touch on the golf uh, or on the uh, on the Maple Leafs. So, um, but you were you know quite outspoken with the Let Us Play campaign. Um, so I appreciate you using your platform and your voice to try and kind of hopefully move the needle. And we're back golfing now. So um, you heard about John Rom this weekend. I know you guys were just kind of chatting on it. So what were your thoughts on on what happened with John Rom? Like that's the biggest COVID issue, I guess, that we've had in the golf world up until now. And, you know, it more than likely took a title away from John Rahm, who who would have been the first person to win the Memorial back-to-back since Tiger Woods, and he tied the record for the 18-hole lead, or uh, sorry, 54-hole lead at minus 18. So there was a lot on the line there too, right? And John Rahm's a pretty high-end player, number three in the world. I didn't see him losing, but what were your thoughts on it? Yeah. To be honest with you, you're confused. I mean, you talk about right. what you missed out on. I mean, we're talking about a $1.6 million check, too. Yep. And listen, I understand each sports league or sports organization has rules that they want to follow and stick by. But, you know, there has been so much that our world has had to adjust to with COVID. And I know when golf, which was the sports first sports to make its way back post-COVID or even mid-COVID, they sort of set the ground rules as to how sports were going to operate. And they were the easiest sport to do so because it's an individual sport, it's held outdoors, and there's really not much interacting, um, especially in the first couple months when they started to come back. Now things have changed drastically. But I guess where I say I'm confused with the John Rahm situation is the fact that I think, or at least I hoped, that they maybe would have created a little bit of an exception here because John Rahm did play 75% of the tournament. We talked about the 54 holes that he had played. Yep. He had established himself as the legit runaway contender or runaway winner for this tournament. And I understand the difficult news behind what he was delivered after the last hole on Saturday, but. Anybody will tell you, when you hold a six-stroke lead going into the final day, chances are you're probably going to win the tournament. Yeah. And that's where I feel for John Rahm is that, you know, the NFL said it best when, you know, they were learning to um, navigate through a, a pandemic season. And the one word they continue to use is adapt. Right. Adapt and adjust. And in saying that, it was basically – Going, having a set of rules in place, but adjusting on the fly as you encounter them. And I think in this situation, this could have been a, the, the best example where they could have at least um, executed that adapt and adjust mentality because you, all you got to do is look at the optics. 
if he was a guy tied in first place or he was a guy in the hunt, okay, you can understand. But this guy had a six-stroke lead. Yeah. I mean, if there was a way, maybe you could get him out on Sunday, which optically probably wouldn't have been the best look. Or you could say, hey, listen, you're not going to play. We're going to average your three-day score and give you a final score for the Sunday. Because, again, you're adapting and adjusting. And you give him that score, and whatever it is, based on the average he accumulated, you add that to his score, and at least you will let it play itself out. Because to completely eliminate a guy who is the runaway leader to this, to me, made absolutely no sense. And it's, it's something that was completely out of his control. I mean, again... We're dealing with a COVID situation that can pop up out of the blue like this. Right. So I understand in different situations when guys are trailing or not in it, okay, you can withdraw and maybe get your, your check that you know for making the cut, whatever. But I just think there should have been a, 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 an exemption or at least a, a certain circumstance that could have been played here when it came to John Rahm. And, you know, I guess you got to give the, the PGA credit, too, because they, they stood for their stand of the rules they implemented as well. So, yeah. a very unfortunate situation. And now you're talking about the U.S. Open that's two weeks from now. And, you know, him having to quarantine and not really be out on the course or even be active, according to quarantine rules, it really makes him beg the question as to, you know, what his availability is going to be for that and, and what type of performance he's going to be able to have. Well, like, I know he's played at Torrey Pines before, and he's won at Torrey Pines, which is where the U.S. Open is this year, but it's apparently deadly right now. Like, the rough is apparently crazy, and he'll get out, I guess. It, yeah, it'll be, it'll be, I guess, Tuesday or Wednesday that he's able to get out on the course, um, so that's not a lot of practice time. <clears throat> but this weekend was kind of an interesting one in golf because... As you know, Stephen Ames won. Mike Weir finished second, which is amazing on the PGA Champions Tour. Um, so Stephen Ames overcame a seven-stroke deficit to win that championship, which, like you mentioned, is extremely rare and doesn't happen that often. Unfortunately, he leapfrogged Mike Weir in the process, but fortunately, Mike Weir just won a couple weeks ago, and Stephen Ames got a second victory on the PGA Tour or PGA Champions Tour. But at the U.S. Women's Open, uh, 76th U.S. Women's Open, this week, um, NASA Hadayaka, had, um, she was second place at the 76th U.S. Open, and she lost in a playoff to Yuka Sasso. So I hope I got these right, because I know that... Uh, I'm glad you said it. Yeah, they're difficult. To, I, I kind of had a look to pronounce them earlier, but... She saw she shot a sixty-eight to overcome, or she had she was seven strokes better than Lexi Thompson on that day. So Lexi Thompson is kind of like John Rahm, one of the most elite female golfers in the world. So it happened twice in the other two major events that were going on in the weekend. So it is possible, but I just felt like John Rahm was and like Shane Lowry said, that was the best round of golf he has ever seen anybody play when he played yeah. with uh, John Rahm. So well, really listen, I mean the other thing they could have done is, you know, okay, you separate him from the three day tournament, but his lead is still there. And if somebody leapfrog leapfrogs him yeah. on the Sunday, then they deserve to win. Yeah, like this the scoring average was just over seventy three strokes on Sunday. So I think I think minus one was the candle. He started the day at yep. minus uh, 12. He finished at minus 13 and won a playoff. So, you know, he's yeah. got a 71. So, it, again. Even if he got, like, the average of the, the final round scoring average at 73. And, like, Harry Higgs shot an 84. So, like, that was pretty inflated on, like, one guy shot a, you know, a round that you and I would go out and shoot there, right? So, I, I think, but, I yeah. Think like, and, again, because he invested 75% of the tournament already, there should have been some sort of 
I wouldn't say exemption, but some sort of, um, you know. My th- my thought was like, maybe they maybe they could have sent him out early. Like it's it's rare. Hey, listen, if you send him out early, there's, yeah. there's many ways you can find a way to get a quick round in. He's playing by himself. Yeah, he Maddie. could play it in two hours, two two hours fifteen. Yeah, so he doesn't have to walk the course. I mean, but again, it's optics behind everything. You know, does yeah, he's doing it. I think this creates a bigger conversation because what you want to eliminate is something like this happening again. Exactly. Where you're going into a final day and you're and you're done with this scenario. So I just hope it would have happened already though. That was that was my thought is I hope they would have had that conversation already and something would have been put in place like you know all scenarios if we've got some guy in the middle of the pack, bottom of the leaderboard, barely made the cut, something like that, but what if we have a winner after 54 holes or not a winner, but somebody dominating the field, then what do we do, right? So I don't know. We'll uh hopefully there'll be something put in place and hopefully he comes back and plays Tory Pines really well cuz he deserves it now. He uh he deserves a check now. Yeah. I've, I've had gone, uh, John Rahm has been my go-to guy cuz my last two golf pools that I've been in, he's been a guy that we've selected. Yeah. And he's helped us win. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's been his final rounds on Sundays yeah. in both tournaments that have been the difference maker. I think so. Last tournament was the PGA Championship, the Masters. Yep. On the Sunday, he shot minus six. Yep. You know, and he didn't like he didn't he didn't finish anywhere near the top of the leaderboard, but that minus six put him in contention, and it helped me in my bracket with my pool. So listen, I'm a big Don Ron fan. It sucks to see what happened. But- well, also too, like DJ's been slipping. Justin Thomas, Justin Thomas has just been kind of like, you know, chipping away, chipping away. But every golfer in the world wants to be the best in the world. John Rahm especially, right? So that's a lot of points that he's lost. I think it was like 550 points or something towards the official world golf ranking. So that's that's a tough one to swallow. Um, I'm sure he's not hurting for money, but like that drive at that level when you're an elite golfer to be the best in the world. That's that's a tough pill to swallow for sure. But uh, you and I, we're both from the Toronto area. We played a lot of courses around here. I wanted to ask you what your favorite one was in the area. Um, well, I'm a club league member. Okay. So I have the great opportunity to play a lot of courses. But obviously with COVID last year, um, you know, I, I, I kept my circles really close to me. Um, I do love playing Heron Point because it's the course I shot my lowest round in, uh, 79. Nice. Um, I'm a member at Rattlesnake. I love playing that course because there's two 18s there, and it gives you some uh, variety. Um, Wind Dance was a very um, scenic and challenging course. I would love to get up to the Muskokas and you know golf Rocky Crest, uh, Grandview, uh, Muskoka Bay, yep. uh, St. Joe's. Because um, it's been a while since I golfed those, and to really remember what they, they look like. But um, it's hard to pick one. We're we're lucky. It's it's really hard to pick one, but obviously I'm going to pick the Grand Slam home run winner, and that's the National Golf Club of Canada. I mean, there's a reason why it is ranked number two in Canada because it has that prestige to it. Yeah, you know, it's an elite uh, members course. Um, But as exquisite as it is, it's one of those courses you want to quit golf after you're finished playing it because. (laughs) You know, you get this anticipation and this excitement rolling through you when you're about to play it because you're playing on an unbelievable course. You want to score well. You're playing well going into it. You have this vision, okay. You have an idea of where you're going to shoot. And then you come nowhere close to shooting that because of the difficulties the course presents. For sure. You know, aside from that, 
you know, you're, you're surrounded by a great company. It's, it's, it's a great, they've got a great clubhouse experience there and obviously a very challenging golf course. So I would have to say, um, I wouldn't classify that as my favorite, but it's definitely one of the best ones that I've played. Yeah. Uh, clearly the, my favorite is Rattlesnake because I play there two or three times a week uh, on average. Nice. And it's a course that I've, I've really learned and a course that, um, you know, I, I enjoy playing because, like I said, it gives you, uh, you know, two 18s as an option where sometimes if you get bored of one, you play the other. And I've loved everything about it. And I'm just, I've really enjoyed the pleasures of being a Club Link member. And I'm so glad that I chose that option instead of being, um, you know, a, a member at a single course. Because I do like varieties. Absolutely. Absolutely. We all do. Right. So, um, I grabbed something off your Instagram last June 30th. You posted a, uh, probably looks like a four or five pound bass there. What, uh, what course did you, what course did you catch that at? So you got to give us an idea. Like I, I've been following you for a long time and I know that, uh, you got to fit, you got a rod in the bag. So how did that, uh, like, how did you choose to bring a fishing rod out to the course and, and where did you catch that one? So, um, it's the thing I do. Uh, I remember golfing with one of my old buddies back in the day where golf really wasn't um, that big of an excitement for me because, you know, it was hockey and right. it was my hockey was my first priority. But uh, golfing with a buddy of mine, Kyle Ardell, playing at, uh, what was the course name? I'm drawing a blank right now. Anyways, it was a course in Burlington. And we go out and play. He's got this fishing rod in his bag. I'm like, why do you have a fishing rod in bag? And he looks at me and goes, buddy, golf course ponds are the best fishing spots ever. Oswinds was the golf course. And so I was like, what? What are you talking about? So we pull up to this par three. We both shoot it onto the green. And as he's walking up to the green, he throws a line in the water. He pulls out this monster bass. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You're right. This is amazing. So right from that moment on, it's been the thing that I've done all the time because I've always been a golfer. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I, I golf, a fisherman. I love fishing. I just don't get into enough. And so I started doing it, and I started having the same luck. I'm like, ah, every course that I go to, I'm, you know, and 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 I don't do this and ruin the pace of play. I'm very respectful for pace of play and all the rules that golf. Implement. Yeah, cast one in there and see if you grab something. Why not? Well, right? Usually, before every shot, if you're playing on a really busy course, you have time to wait. So yeah. Drive up to my ball if I'm near a pond. You know, while I'm waiting to to uh, to uh, hit my next ball, um, I throw a line in the water. And most times, I don't know if you find the right pond that has the stock fish in it, you're pulling one out every cast. So, God, I'm drawing a blank right now of the course that I played in. Um, Something fire, dragon's fire. Okay, yep. Dalton Carlisle. Oh, there's a 17th hole there. It's a par three, and I I carry my fishing rod in my bag everywhere I go. And the first thing I like to do is, you know, you find a a, 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 a member that works at the golf course, and you kind of sneak up to him and say, "Hey, you guys uh, got any stock ponds on your course?" And some guys will know, and some guys will look at you cross-eyed, right? But, you know, you're asking the question out of curiosity. Right. And so I always get that information first before I actually explore it. Or if I don't, I just try to take a chance anyways. But usually you know which one's to hit and which one's not. Like if you see a small body of water, chances are there's nothing in there. But if you see like, 
you know, one that is in as, as sort of like the, what do you call it? Um, the focal point of the course. You yeah. See, that's the one that has it in them, right? Well, like uh, I'm thinking of my course and I'm, it's fresh on my mind because I just, I, it's a par three about a hundred and just under 160 yards. And last year I hit the pin. My last round I played there, I hit an eight iron into the wind and left it like it rained just before. And I was probably about 10, 12 inches uh, off a revolution of going in the cup. So if it didn't rain, I was getting a hole in one. I'm, I, I know it, but uh, it's, it's, it's a full water carry, right? So it's, and I've heard that the pond there is, is great. And it's, it's not like a, it's, not a man-made pond. So it's, uh, you know, a natural element to the golf course, which, uh, that's what kind of made me think. I'm sure you'd love that one. Now going up nine, there's like a koi pond up there. I don't know if you'd want to fish yeah, in that no, one, but, no uh, yeah, I find the ones with bass. Yeah. You see, you can see the koi's that are swimming in them, but anyways, to make a long story short, R3 at Dragon's Fire, um, 120 yards, which is my money club. It's my, it's my gap wedge. It's yep. my favorite club to hit in the bag. And I money every time that I hit it. So I pull up to the tee box. I pull this club on. I'm just not feeling it. I I swing anyways. I don't know why I did. And I hoofed it into the water. And I was so mad because I'm like, no, this shouldn't have. I was actually shooting a really good round, too. So the guys that I'm playing with tell me to pull up and, and hit the drop zone. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to hit it from here. So I tee another one up, and I throw a dart at the flag. It's the flag is sort of in the front of the green, but on a mound. So I hit the back of the mound and rolled it back into the cup. Nice. I never had a hole in one before. Nice. Okay? So I jarred this thing from the tee box on my third shot. So all my buddies were saying, oh, my God, you got a hole in one. I can't believe it. Yes, everyone's celebrating. Oh, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not that type of guy. I'm not getting a mulligan on this. Imagine I imagine I come out and say I got a hole in one, and next thing you know, people find out it was a mulligan. I would never <laughs> be able to live the end of the day of that. So I said, no, hole in one for par. So as everyone's finishing out, I'm like, okay, you know what? Now I got more than enough time. Everybody can so I'm gonna go fish the pond. I fished that pond and, and Mac, my first cast. The the hit that I took, and you saw the size of the bass. Yeah. As soon as I felt it, I knew this was a big one. And I fished out of that pond before, and you're pulling out small ones, and it's just, it's a nice thing, you know. You, you, and you basically, almost every cast, you're pulling one out, and they're small, they're big, they're ring. This one was a monster. <laughs> it was, like, I didn't have a weight thing on me, but I could tell by the size of its mouth, it was easy five pounds. Yeah, it looked it. That's, yeah, that's kind of what I thought, yeah. Yeah, so now I'm thinking to myself, this is unbelievable. I should have had a hole in one, I didn't. <laughs> But at least to make myself feel better, I pulled out the biggest bass I've ever caught in one of these ponds, right? And I haven't fished the the, the big ones yet, or the, the courses yet that have the big ones in them. Yeah. But to me, it doesn't matter. Like the joy of actually doing both things at once, golfing and then fishing while you're golfing, fishing's great. But to commit a full day to it when you're on the water, and, you know, you, sometimes you get a bite, sometimes you ghost, most times you get skunk. Being able to golf is you throw a couple lines in, and usually after a couple lines, if you don't get anything, you know there's nothing in there. Right. If they're in there, they're going to hit it. And I tell you, man, I started this trend where now, because I've been posting it so much, every time people are on golf courses, I get people texting me saying, hey, look what I caught on that <laughs> golf course today. It's like I started a movement. Yeah, you're going to have to write down those courses, too. <laughs> yeah. So, 
it's been great. It's something I enjoy doing. Um, obviously, the weather is getting warmer now, so the ponds will start and the fish will start to be biting. It's fast. Yeah. Now. So, you, I mean, because I golf rattlesnakes so much, there's only one pond there on the one course that has them in there. And I just noticed recently when I played there two days ago that the water's a little low right now, so probably not a good time to fish it. But I'm open to, you know, when I play new courses, I'm all, the first thing I always do is I always check to see if there's ponds. Yeah. If you want to know if you want it, if you have to pack. If I want to pack my rod in my bag, if not, I leave it in the car. Yeah. At least I'm always prepared. Absolutely. So for any of our friends like out west or down in the States, we've got a couple, uh, we've had a couple pros on that play down in the States and whatnot. Our courses up here in Ontario, Canada are absolutely packed all the time. So that's some of the things that some of the other, other, uh, guests on the pod don't really understand is we're always waiting to take our second shots and, you know, approaching the green and stuff. So yeah. First thing in the morning, which is my favorite thing to do playing golf. Yeah. My ideal golf is seven o'clock in the morning. First off the tee, finish. And I I like playing hurry. Yeah. Get up to your ball, hit it. I don't need to examine everything i just feel like that's when i'm in rhythm and i play with guys like that too so you know instead of playing a four and a half hour round you're playing a three hour round with no waiting about uh, for anybody in front of you and when i do that i usually don't spend much time you know on the ponds and stuff but other than that you're looking at four four hour rounds yeah and again i have all the respect for the rules of the golf course I'm never a guy that slows down the pace of play because I hate when people do it to me. So, but hey, when the time calls for it and I'm sitting beside a pond, I will not hesitate to pull my run. Yeah, pace of play is big for me, especially and 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 everyone, everybody really. So, like uh, I've talked a lot about my my two most um, consistent playing partners right now are my wife and uh, my sister. What? So, what? yeah, yeah, they both come out with me um, three times a week, pretty much. So. Um, First thing, like my, my wife's actually pretty good. She'll shoot, uh, you know, bogey round, something like that. My sister's kind of still learning to play the game, but they're both fast. They play the game fast and that's kind of how we like to do it and keep it moving as much as you can. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of my dream for some, I guess, but uh, I wanted to ask you, you've probably, uh, you've probably got to golf with some pretty cool people. So who would be your dream for some, uh, it doesn't have to be golf related. Could be just any sports, any, anybody really. That's such a tricky question. It is. Because, um, usually I love golfing with guys that have personality that don't really take the game serious. They like to throw shots at each other when they make a bad shot or it's yep. a big putt and stuff like that. I like to, I, I like to share personality on the golf course and play with enthusiasm. So to play, to, to pick four guys, I mean, obviously if, if you're, if you're talking about celebrities, uh, Bono from U2. Okay. U2. Um, Josh Allen from the Buffalo Bills. I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan. Josh Allen, my boy. And I'd have to say, AK is uh, going to be di- AK is going to be disappointed if you don't say AK. Um, I would have to say the next person would probably be the Rock. Okay, yeah, that would be pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to see. I would love to see him hit a ball like that. Would be like typically people say, you know, Bill Murray, MJ, Charles Barkley. Like it would. Oh, uh, Charles would be great. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. He's not that great of a golfer, but he'd be great for the entertainment. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 getting he's getting better. But it would be pretty pretty interesting to see Dwayne Johnson try and crush a ball. That would be that'd be oh, yeah. something else. Oh yeah, well, just there's that there's that, that intimidation factor, right? Yeah. Too. 
For sure. For sure. So I asked, uh, before I let you go, Carlo, I asked Bob Weeks the same question and I stumped him a little bit. So I got to ask you who the best foursome is at TSN. Okay. Um, Not, okay. Hold on. Hold on. We got it. We got to remove Graham Dillette because. Okay. Yeah. He wasn't even on my radar. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of just, I know that there's, yeah, he's, he's kind of the, the top guy. He does the masters and stuff like that. So So exemption for Graham Dillette. Bob Weeks, but I hear he's okay. Yep. Mark Zucchino, definitely. Yep. He's stunned. That was who he said. He said Mark Zucchino, by yes. far, um, aside from Graham Dillette, would be uh, would yeah. be the guy. Yeah. Jeff O'Neill. Yep. Because he's a stud when it comes. No, you, you said foursome, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I've played with James Duffy. I know how good he can be, but I also know how good, how bad he can be. Too. <laughs> so I'll throw him in there. And other people that golf at TSN, Dave Poole and I have to say. Yeah, yeah, he did say Poole was pretty good. Um, he said if it was a scramble tournament, he would probably have taken Adam Scully because he hits the ball, I he guess, an absolute mile. I with Scully, he hits it a mile. Yeah. I don't know if it was just playing with me, but every time I hear stories about guys that can hit it a mile and they're not good at playing golf, they play their worst round. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Sully, yes, he can't hit it a mile, but he didn't play a great round when I played with him. Right. And not to rate women. That's what I was about to say. He said Lindsay Hamilton, who you were chatting with uh, today, she's uh, she's just over finishing up the World Hockey Championship. So Lindsay Hamilton was on his radar as well. Like I said, I, the only woman I've golfed with is Tessa Bonham. Okay. And she can bob it. Yeah. He would definitely be one of them. I know, I know Lindsay likes the golf. I know Kara Wagman likes the golf. And... Natasha Staniszewski isn't there anymore, but I know she did like the golf. Yep. Um, women, I'm trying to think who else is there that golfs. I I, I can't think off the top of my head, the most for sure, but that's yeah. an all man. It was a treat to watch her ball. Yeah. So that's a pretty good foursome. And, uh, I think Hedger, I think Hedger golfs too. Yourself too. If you're a, hey, if you're playing, if you're playing a 79, and and I was going to ask you, you're you you were kind of mentioning this morning that you got fitted with some uh, some tailor made gear. So I'm actually playing the Sim Two as well, the Sim Two Max this year, and I've had some of my. I'm I'm fairly long off the tee. I'm not a very long iron player, but I have had some pretty long drive, uh, like some pretty long drives myself this year. So we got to add you in there, man. Maybe it's uh, you know throw you in there and, and hit a couple long bombs with the with the sim too well it's funny you say that because i'm i'm a i was an eight as high as an eight handicap last year and i played a couple rounds this year and thankfully my handicap has gotten down because nice i've been struggling with my new clubs a bit and a lot of it is because they're fitted right and i'm just i'm my my angles are off with my clubs but i've always been a guy that and, and i've never been too hard on myself to hit a long ball i've always said to myself I would rather take less distance as long as I stay in play. Yep. Staying in play helps you score better because you're not wasting any strokes, right? So with my old clubs, the difficulty I was having was I was hitting the move with every club in my bag, including my driver. And so I fixed my driver. I went and got fitted, and I you know, got hooked up with the TaylorMade Sim 2 driver, and it's amazing that when I hit this thing, it's a normal ball flight, good, and I get fifty extra yards yeah. on my distance, which has been amazing for me because now, on some of the tougher courses that I play, instead of being two plus off the tee, I'm in my normal uh, wedge, not wedge, iron range now. Yep. 
right? Where I'm hitting a five, a six, or a seven, depending on how good I hit it. So that's been good for me. It's a sim two driver has been amazing for me. And I've been able to keep it in play and I'm still learning, you know, how to aim it. But like I said, the thing I'm struggling with my irons and I've got the ping D450s, which have been awesome, but the length of them is different. So okay. I'm still learning how to how to sit on top of the ball hitting it. You know, when I hit it, it feels amazing and it's it feels really well. But again, I'm not keeping it in play with my iron shots, you know, or at least not hitting the green, which then I have to bring my chip, my wedge out and yeah. you're, you're hurting yourself with the strokes here and there. So um, that's been the difference in my game. Um, I like to say my putter has improved uh, like drastically over the last two years because I can honestly sit here safely and say, you put me on the green, it's about a 75% chance I'm two-putting. Good. That's how consistent and comfortable I feel. Yeah, I have felt like that until recently. Like I've, I've changed my putter this year. I've played the same Odyssey uh, number nine. So it's like a heel hosel kind of putter, kind of like Phil. It's like a um, kind of like a mid mallets uh, version of what Phil plays. And I started playing the Scotty Del Mar. So some, it's a similar style putter. Some rounds, I'm in absolute love with it. Other rounds I'm struggling, but that is by far the best part of my game or has been. So um, this year I'm playing a set of like Strix on blades, the same ones that Brooks plays uh, Brooksy. So, uh, but they're, they're, they're punishing if I miss, I'm not hitting them like Brooksy is. So, uh, but they are definitely punishing if I miss, but um, it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch it. Like I posted something the other day and it was kind of like Brooks versus Bryson. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to see kind of the, the comments and everybody sending me messages. Yeah. Like I talk about that all the time. Yeah. Then it tracks people to actually watching it play out. Yeah. Right. Like I've seen so so many people have said, oh, it's kind of crossing the line or whatever it is. They were talking about that on Golf Talk Canada today, but like golf's kind of boring, man. Like it's, it's, well, it's getting to be more exciting too, right? Like it's. You're right. And that's the thing with golf in particular, because golf has that reputation of being a boring sport. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a way to change that. And it's about evolving. Yeah. You have to understand your fan base. You have to understand the new generation coming up about the things that they like doing versus they don't like doing. People like being on social media. People yep. like, you know, uh, having fun doing stuff that maybe is old traditional. People like showing character and personality, you know, with the things that they wear and the things that they say. And if golf is, stays stubborn in their ways of sticking traditional, they're going to be missing out on a huge generation here because, you know, again, I understand golf, they, they want people, to, to the golfers, to wear pants. There's a certain etiquette that needs to be followed. But at the same time, there could be an adjustment being made here so that, you know, people can see yeah. you know, like guys like John Daly wear stupid, funny stuff. But yep. again, it catches people's eye because it's unique. Yeah. Right? You see, you see NBA players draw, show up the games, and sometimes you, you can't even believe this, some of the stuff that they're wearing. And again, I understand the professionalism and the etiquette around golf, but maybe there's something that can be done here that can help. Like, I hate referring to the Happy Gilmore scene, right? But Happy Gilmore in that movie yeah. helped change 
audience is golf. No, that's right? that's well put. It's kind of uh, I shouldn't say golf is boring because I play it almost every day that I can. So, but it's kind of you know old and stuffy, and it, there's a new generation coming, and so yeah, many of us are on yeah, social media. You, but like, to take away the boring aspect of golf, I listen to music when I play golf. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I don't, I don't need it to be quiet. I don't need. Yep. Like, I don't get phased if somebody's talking in my backswing. Like, yep. That's, that's that's all like. Old myths, yeah, right. I, yeah, and, and maybe old myths to, to some people, or to, 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 to some people, and, and some people not. But to me, it's like, hey, listen, you're out here. Your job is to hit a golf ball, and I've never done it in front of a crowd like the pros do. So maybe there is an exception for that type of competition. But for the average regular golfer, listen, respect the people you play with, respect the golf or golf course, and respect the game. Yeah, it's simple. Well said. And at the, at the end of the day, all you gotta—the thing you should look forward to most—is you're getting outdoors. It's great for your physical and mental health, and you have fun doing it with the people that you're with. Well, like, look at—you know—you've been a professional athlete your whole life, Carlo, up until now, and like the music the fans all of that kind of stuff pumped you up right so i'm never going to be golfing in front of a bunch of fans but a little music here and there doesn't matter right a little little birdie juice never hurts right no exactly right yeah. i mean you know it, you, it gives you the vibes right yeah. when you're out there but i can never ever figure out watching these pros sitting on a tee box and having that line of people on both sides <laughs> how they can sit there and say just hit a straight ball. Yeah. All it takes is just one miss hit. And I know I've done it many times where you're pulling it or you're shanking it. Yeah. And it's going directly right or left and you're killing somebody. Yeah. We've seen a lot of it in like, even, well, even DJ hit somebody this year and Justin Thomas, I think, yeah, Justin Thomas at the masters, uh, I think he hit his dad. So, which is, uh, which is pretty crazy. Right. But, uh, I've taken a bit a bit too much of your time to uh, this morning, Carlos. So I really appreciate you hopping on with me. It was a lot of fun, and uh, it was just great to talk about golf. And thanks again for uh, connecting Chad and uh, you know helping him out. So that could mean a lot in, uh, in his career. So he's playing in Rockford this year. Had just played in Rockford. Was really enjoying it. So maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll see you out on the golf course sometime this year. That'd be awesome, man. All right. <laughs> exactly. All right. Take care, Carl. Thanks for hopping on, man. All right, all the best. Bye for now. He's out in my ball and of course I tee up. I lose the ball and I re-up. I miss the fairway, I probably end up in the ocean or maybe the beach. And I'm on a part five and I'm finna go reach it. Second was blind, I see it. Feel like it might be an average.